This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we're going to be reviewing the season four finale of Lower Decks. It's upon us already, called Old Friends New Planets. But we're going to start with the news. And before we even start with the news, I want Tony to guess what I was doing right before we started recording the podcast to get myself in a good mood and a Star Trek frame of mind. Of course, you were listening to and or watching the crossover, not the crossover, the musical episode. You are correct. <laughs> I had a few minutes to kill. I thought I'd pull up some of those lyrics videos that they made that I enjoy so much. <laughs> They're fun. And I just felt like I needed a little energy boost. So there you have it. I watched the finale. It was good. It was great. Everybody won at the end. It was wonderful. Anyway, on to the news. Um, let's do a brief check-in on the SAG after strike, which is, I would say there's reason to be optimistic. We don't have anything definite, but they are definitely negotiating, trying to work out the biggest, I think the biggest issue right now is AI, is what they're talking about right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they've, I mean, because there was the big issue of paying for residuals on streaming. Right. I don't know if they've worked that through because they were very far apart on that, but they worked through last weekend that it seems very serious. It seems like both sides feel pressure from yes. their own constituencies. You know, there's fighting amongst the actors. There's fighting amongst the, you know, there's pressure within the studios, you know, because this is impacting not just production, uh, you know, so this, you know, summer blockbusters are getting hurt, but also releasing new movies. They can't roll out their actors for junkets, you know, so everyone is just ready to move on but they just need a good deal. So I still, I'm still confident it'll happen before Hollywood basically shuts down for about six weeks once Thanksgiving rolls around. So I think we're going to get a deal before Thanksgiving. Yeah. Well, if we don't, we're not going to get one for a while. It'll be next year. I think the negotiators might work during that period, but the, the issue with Thanksgiving is, you know, the, they were hoping to maybe get it done well ahead of time so that they could, maybe some things could get a few weeks of production going. But I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, they were. I think it was the fall season that they were particularly concerned about, too, timing-wise. Yeah, I, I think some shows may go into production in, in December anyway, even though they might not have usually. Um, just, you know, but we'll see. Um, but on the Star Trek side, I think they may do that as well. Well, you know, that's the big question of how do they handle the Michelle Yeoh thing, which should have started production this month, and Strange New Worlds, which should have started production last may really so yeah anyway we'll in a few weeks we'll do a kind of what to expect in 2024 roundup from star trek so look for that in probably december from the all access star trek and audience. we'll know what's going on with the strike by then and let's hope let's hope even by next week that we can say it's over yeah well now i think we should talk about speaking of the potential future of star trek that isn't happening the way that it was expected. Um, Star Trek Four. So we did an interview with makeup artist James McKinnon, um, actually to talk about the Picard uh, Legacy Blu-ray box set that's coming out. And we, you'll get that whole interview next week. But one of the things he ended up talking to us about was he told us that he was officially hired to work on a Chris Pine Star Trek movie, the Matt Shackman one, for one week in June of 2022. And then he used the word fired, but it wasn't fired the way we think of it. But then a week later, it was shut down. But, but the, the the kind of the key thing is the why. I mean, I guess there's two things. One is 
that they really were gearing up. People, you know, you don't hire the makeup guys until you're until pre-production is starting. You know, so right. so that's that's real stuff. You start, you know, because he it's probably not just him. It's you know, it's designers and uh, you know, set people, and that's when you really start going and spending money. You know, so by hired it means they were spending real money. Yep, it was a go. They were going. Yeah, well, Paramount put it on their release schedule for 2023 Christmas. You know, this was a go project. But then he said it shut down and he said it was script issues. And maybe six weeks later, Mac Shackman left. There's been a lot of talk about aligning people's schedules, but it's more than that. Yeah, which we know. We've heard hints of that from some of the actors have said that, too, that they and it's it's a lot of speculation. Like even James said I think a script rewrite went in a different direction. So nobody wants to outright say that they know exactly what's going on, probably because they don't. But everybody seems to think the same thing. (laughs) That being said, you know, when we talked about what he wants to do next on Star Trek, he doesn't expect to work on the upcoming shows. He's in L.A. Those are Toronto. It's expensive to bring him in, and he doesn't think that they can afford it, really. But he is hoping to get back on the on Star Trek four. He says that, you know, he's going to retire in a few years and he wants that to be his last Star Trek thing. Yeah. And he said, I think he said he worked on Chris Pine's directorial debut. Also, yeah. The so. pool boy, pool man, pool man, something like that. <laughs> um, it did not get good reviews. No. Chris Pine. So don't expect Chris Pine to direct Star Trek four. So, sorry, Chris Pine, but uh, hopefully he has, I mean, he's, he is a very smart guy. Very creative. Uh, so Look, hopefully, John- he- Jonathan Frakes has had a, had a flop that put him in director jail for a while. So you know he's still directing. He's not yeah. directing movies, but he's directing. Well, this is an indie project. He is still Chris Pine. So if he yes, puts he himself, is. if he if he signs himself up for another movie that he's directing, I'm sure enough money could be found for another indie go. So yep. anyway, it's, by the way, the Legacy box set, which costs two hundred dollars, and has Everything that Jean-Luc Picard has been in, except for the emissary from DS9. They should have thrown that in there, but it's not not available in HD, so it would look like shit compared to everything else. But, you know, but um, I don't know. Charge an extra 25 bucks and remaster that thing into (laughs) HD, and that that, that would have been pretty awesome. Yeah, that would have been amazing. I would have put it on my Christmas list, even though I don't really (laughs) make a Christmas list, but... (laughs) Speaking of some Star Trek merchandise, this has not been a good year for Star Trek books. I think there's uh, on the fiction side, there's been some good releases on the nonfiction side, like the Neville Page art book and the Star the Trek Wrath 2 of Khan book. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But uh, Pocket Books has announced two new titles for the first half of 2024, the first of which is a Dayton Ward book. Um, coming in May, called Pliable Truths. And it's about Ro Laren. And Jean-Luc Picard. It's set right before the DS9 debut, and before that season 7 TNG episode when she left to join the Maquis. Right. But after Rascals, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully she talks about being a kid. <laughs> I love but it's, Rascals. It, it's kind of a, you know, Bajor... Cardassians leaving Federation coming in prequel to DS9. It's a good topic. I don't, I mean, I guess Cisco probably won't play a role. I mean, maybe it gets mentioned, but he had, 
yet to be assigned to it, you know, so. Well, he's somewhere else, but it could be interesting. And then there's another book coming out in July. It's called Lost to Eternity. It's by Greg Cox, and it takes place in multiple time periods, but uh, it features Dr. Jillian Taylor, who we all know from Star Trek Four. Yeah, you know, she came back. I guess they really weren't worried about plucking her. I mean, they really were playing pretty cavalier with time travel. Uh, well, they so. <laughs> were. And so, you know, that's apparently like one of the parts of the story is about the fact that she's gone missing. <laughs> and they're right, looking right. for her because she did just disappear. But it also um, is set shortly before it's between Star Trek V and Star Trek VI. So the USS Enterprise under Captain James T. Kirk is still out there. And I guess she reunites with Kirk. All right. As a scientist. Sure. <laughs> as a scientist. She yeah. reunites with him as a scientist. <laughs> um, we've already covered this, but uh, the first book coming out, the next book coming out is the David Mack seven post Voyager book, which I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, that, you know, I don't read a lot of the novels, but that is a topic that's always really interested me. And that comes out in February. You know, we probably should expect a couple more books. So it looks like maybe five books, maybe six fiction books. And we've got the autobiography of Cisco coming out next year or two. So next year is looking good for Star Trek fiction. Cool. Before we get into the Lower Decks review, let's do a little bit of Lower Decks merch. Yeah, this happened. I don't even, I mean, I've seen everybody's been talking about the Funko Pops. I've been seeing it on social, but you actually whipped together an article right before we started recording, you know, while I was singing and watching the <laughs> video. Um, so you have to tell me what's going on. What are these Funko Pops? It's the four main lower deckers. Yeah. So it's Boimler, Mariner, Tendi, and Rutherford, and Badgy. No to Lynn. <laughs> Um, oh. All all as Funko Pops. These are the first Lower Decks Funko Pops. Um, there, there's been other Star Trek Funko Pops, including an exclusive Geordi from New York Comic Con. I don't know if you saw that while you were there. They are coming out in January, and they're twelve bucks. You know, like like Funko Pops. Also announced on the same day as the season four finale, the game. Lower Decks, the Badgie Directive, has added a collectible Moopsie. So if you play the game, you could collect Moopsie as a character um, for free. So it's not quite a tangible plush Moopsie yet, which people have been making on their own like crazy. But there's virtual Moopsie is what you're saying. It's a virtual. Me. So it's the first bit of official right. Moopsie merch. There is something we'll probably cover on the site and talk about on the pod is there is a lot of unofficial Moopsie merch. Everyone loves Moopsie, and people have been making their own Moopsies and stuff like that. With it's sound. Fun. It's amazing what people are doing. I also, there, there was a Moopsie Halloween costume or two out there, too. Amazing. <laughs> Moopsie is scary. And cute. So Master Replicas, which has kind of come back into the world of collecting, they've been uh, releasing all the old Eagle Moss stuff. They recently bought QMX, who some collectors may remember have done a lot of Star Trek merch. And they announced just very vaguely on Twitter, X, whatever, Moopsie is coming. So we oh. don't know we don't know what that means, but that would be a physical thing, whatever it is. Like it might be a statue. Yeah, they don't usually make soft things. No, well, yeah, they don't, but they could. I mean, who knows what they're doing? Because they've been bought, so they could do anything. 
a plush is the most obvious thing. It could be a pin. I expect it's, it could be a maquette. They've done those. But you know what? Actually, I don't think so because Funko, and you'll see this in the article, Funko and EXO are doing maquette statues of Lower Decks coming out next year. So far, they're, they, they've been at, and you could pre-order them now. There's Mariner, Boimler, and Badgie, good and evil. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll keep an eye on that. And uh, for you Christmas fans out there, the uh, there's some badgie ornaments from Hallmark that just came out. Oh, there's some great ornaments this year from Hallmark. You know, the green hand holding the Enterprise, uh, Scotty from Relics with Picard. I think there's that. Data with Spot. There's some good ones. I saw them at Comic-Con. So that's it for Lower Decks merch. The only bit of Lower Decks news, there may be some more. Coming up is there was a Ready Room released. For Lower Decks, they don't do one every week. They did one at the beginning of the season, I think one in the middle, and one with the finale. The funny thing about this is the only people who appear in the episode are actors. No writers and producers. Um, And that's because it was clearly recorded when the actors were not on strike, but the writers were. So probably in June. Right, because we know they they made a point of getting everything recorded before that strike. Uh, The main guests are Don Lewis and... Jerry O'Connell. And there's some nice packages. But Don mentioned that she had already started recording her dialogue for season five. Which was so funny because Jerry was like, what? (laughs) Because he hadn't. But again, keep in mind... She said this, this was before the strike. So whatever recording she did was also before the strike. And this was, again, probably in June. And Mike said they just finished writing the season finale when you were at Comic-Con two weeks ago. Yeah, he said he was still, he was just finishing writing it, but I guess he wasn't quite done. It's still an open question as to whether we'll get season five. Mike seemed to think, as he talked about it, that we'll get season five next year. But I don't think it'll be August or even September. It'll be probably later, no matter what. Well, we'll see. Well, then let's talk about this week. Old Friends, New Planets. Mm-hmm. Season finale. So what's your uh, overview? Top level view. Well, I loved it. I was entertained. I laughed. I cried. You know, everything you want. It had a few surprises. There was a, a number of things you kind of knew were coming, but it was fun seeing how they did it. But there were also some like genuine surprises. The thing I really liked about it is how you really see, even though the show isn't serialized, at least at a heavy level, there were so many great elements just dropped in. Some of them were just gags um, from the season. But you see how finely tuned season four was put together, more so than we've seen. I mean, they, they did this a bit in the last season finale, but... It's more than just the big story with Nick and his fleet. You know, I, so we, we can get more into that. But I, I, I loved it. I think it it's probably the best of the four. You know, they've all been good. Last season, I kind of, it got cliched, I felt. The season three finale with the Bad Merle and the AI. Although it did have that great moment when Mariner brought in all the ships. Yeah, no, it wasn't bad, but this was the best. And Mariner saved the day. Yeah, it was great for the Titan to come in and save the day in the first season. But this show doesn't need that anymore and hasn't. No, 
No, and I felt, I mean, they're definitely like, you know, playing the long game in a, in a way because they plant all this stuff and then it all comes up. But I I agree with you. I thought it was a joy to watch. It's going to be fun to rewatch over and over. I've already watched it a bunch. And I just thought it was a million little moments that were great, just packed in tightly and then united by this, by the themes of the show and Star Trek itself, uh, accompanied by a fantastic score. Yeah, there was huge musical homages in there, a lot of James Horner, but it was so it was so well done in the way you'd go from Lower Decks' own music and they would even bring back music like the music at the end was from Tendy's music from the DS9 episode as she, you know, kind of rejoins the Orions. We don't talk enough about the music, but Chris Westlake really does a fantastic job. On yeah. The show. Agreed. The one, I mean, I, you know, we've just been praising this episode, but I would have to say, I mean, bringing in Nick was great and a surprise as we talked about last week. But the thing, you know, Nick's plan and, you know, what's in it for the other mutineers was always very unclear and it wasn't made any clearer in this episode like really what was he after why and why would the romulans and the ferengi join him and where did he get that ship and you know all the resources it did does it does the show need to write you know explain all of that for us i don't know well so look i don't know where he got the ship and that's a good question but i to me i felt like that was part of the point was that he had this nebulous idea for people who felt specifically reaching out to people who felt put upon and disconnected and united them with a lot of bluster which sounds familiar to me right (laughs) but and then to form this ill-advised coalition with no real goals except to just be like huh now we're in charge. So, which I thought sort of fit his whole personality because he didn't have a big plan. He was just selfish. He kept saying it was a coalition of equals, but the minute things didn't go his way, he was like, do what I say. And he wanted everyone to do what he said. And I think part of the point was also that he'd learned nothing from his experience in Starfleet Academy. Like he'd taken the wrong lesson. And yeah. It had- built up over the years but i think part of the point was that he didn't have a big good plan and that all these people that's why it fell apart in the end it was just a revenge plot he was taking revenge of the federation for kicking him out of starfleet academy and he just he just had a grievance that he and i I could see your point there could be a subtle or maybe even overt political allegory that a grievance-based popular figure right sells his agenda through being this independent renegade, but is really in it for himself and, you know, and maybe there's something there, but what they really were going to do, why other people joined him, where the resources in the base and the, the, uh, I mean, he did explain why there were three binars uh, kind of remember we talked about like what's up with three binars. I remember you'd mentioned the three binars and then uh, someone on social today was asking me about the three binars. So please talk about the three binars. (laughs) 
Well, I I thought it was weird in the episode when the Binar ship was captured that we started with three Binars. And then in this episode, those three same three Binars were his bridge crew. And apparently they they are a kind of new thing, um, a Binar trio. And they created the Trinar <laughs> shield, which was impenetrable, but not really. And and because uh, Mariner points out, I was like, can there be three Binars? But she kind of got it like, oh, Trinar, I get it, you know, so. Right. So that's adding a little bit of lore, I guess, to the Binars. Right. They can do trios. They're evolving. Um, Why not? They can be be thruples. (laughs) But but he made his, even though they were crewing his ship, he built that ship before they ever showed up, right? Because he used that ship to capture their ship. Right. So where did he get that base, which everyone thought was V'ger, because of the pictures they released ahead of the season or the episode? It, you know, this doesn't matter, but the stronger your villain is, the better a story is, you know, which is evidenced by Wrath of Khan, you know, where you understand the villain, his motivations and his plan and all that kind of stuff. I don't have a problem with the Locarno being a villain. Yeah, he definitely had a weak plan. And I guess I... Part of me was hoping that in the end, you know, as Mariner pointed out, and we've talked about, he'd never killed anyone all season long. He was just capturing and tricking people and stuff like that, that he would have a road to redemption. And we didn't. And she was trying so hard all episode to reach him. Yep. Including at the last minute when her mom pulls her out and she still wants to save him. But he, at that point, said, no, I'm just, I wanted to kill you, and he wanted the bomb, and he had kind of made a total villain turn at that point. Right. Well, it's a. I felt like that was a backed into a corner thing. Like, he just, what was he going to do? He couldn't surrender, because that would be over. And I was also thinking, I mean, he did actually achieve something kind of extraordinary, which is that he united species... From within and out, well, primarily outside the Federation. I guess all outside the Federation. One of the Binars, are they in the Federation? Yes. But he had them all cooperating. He had all these, you know, he did create, even though um, <laughs> Boiler brings up the Maquis, but right. this <laughs> independent, he called it the first independent unaligned fleet in the Alpha Quadrant. And that's when Boiler goes, the Maquis would like a word, but um, <laughs> which I thought was great. But that was sort of an accomplishment. And then he just didn't know what to do with it, which is kind of like, I'm going to take this great Nova squadron. That's so great. And we're going to do like this dumb, pretty stunt. Yeah. So that everybody will think that we're so cool. Right. So, and the good thing he did at the end of the first duty of the next generation episode was that he made sure that the others didn't get kicked out. I just rewatched like the end of that to see how that went down. Cause I'd forgotten the very end. Like Darth Vader, there was still some good in him. And I felt like, <laughs> I wanted that to see that at the end, that he kind of would something, you know, and I think you've, you've suggested that because he's bi- his matrix is built into the new planet, they named yes. after him, which is apparently stable, even though the Genesis device was not stable in right. the end. The Ferengi um, fixed it. The Ferengi fixed it. <laughs> and they miniaturized it too, which, I mean, it, that just shows you how smart these guys are. So when they made that episode, they added the Genesis device, which seemed like a gag, yes. but it wasn't a gag. And they made it small enough because they knew Mariner needed to carry it around. Yep. 
So it's just like, God, these guys are really smart. Anyway, and I don't know they where... needed the Ferengi to make it so that it would ask for Latinum. <laughs> right. I mean, the, the thing about Locarno never getting redeemed does let them do that gag, which was very funny. Right. Yeah. So I forget where I was going with that. So we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you were talking about redemption. And so, yes. Yeah, so my theory is that he's basically his, you know, the Genesis, it's a Genesis planet, as we like to call it. And so he can be renewed in some form or another. There is an opportunity to bring this planet back. Vassery just kind of mentioned it aside, but we now, you know, we know that asides aren't necessarily asides, but they could use it for refugees. Well, what does the word refugee mean in this decade? The Romulan refugee crisis yep. and Captain Picard or Admiral Picard. And I think the timing season five would be roughly that time, I think. So they could introduce that storyline into into that and you know, planet Locarno may become a Romulan refugee relief center. And then Nick Locarno will come back as some kind of manifestation to Something. take care of I mean, we don't know, but it could be, it gives them a lot of wiggle room, is all I'm saying. Sure. So I, I you know, we've been nitpicking perhaps but this is you – know, I've loved the episode from top to bottom. I was kind of looking for something to say. My two strikes on this, which are somewhat related, is that Nick was not redeemed. His plan was a little weak, but perhaps that was by design. And the homage in the end to he was bent on revenge and had a Genesis device. That's all con stuff. But then they ended up fighting in the Ion Storm, and it was – they didn't even bother changing anything. They're just like, let's just go with, let's just go with Star Trek two. Let's do shot by shot, practically version of that. Cause earlier they did a fun chase through this like crystal ring, which was the new. dangerous space debris. Yeah. And, and, and that was, there's echoes of moments in Star Trek and she releases the coolant and that blinds the Ferengi, but it was still something new. And it, you know, in, if you remember in, season you know was it last season or two seasons ago when they stripped the hull off the cerritos oh, yeah. you know it's great when they do something new and they did something new with the way they dragged the ship the orion ship in this so well that reminded me of um Riker throwing an asteroid sort of right. had shades <laughs> of that to for me like i was like oh yeah it's kind of the same sort of ideas just get something really big and and throw it so it smashes through something although i wouldn't be surprised if this episode was written before that episode right that's true but still when they just copy something beat for beat sometimes that get you know but that just might be my little quirk and to get super nitpicky so they were in an ion storm which is nothing new in level seven which we've even heard about on voyager um but later vassery refers to it as a nebula and you don't have nebulas in the middle of star systems. Nebulas are like a light year across and what happens before a star system. So, but it, well, but the Matara Vassar nebula, not, what was a nebula? Vassar is not the brightest bulb. Yeah. You, we know e this. Easily headcanon is he's an idiot. <laughs> yes. And doesn't know the difference between an ion storm and a nebula, but it, but in it, but it still shows that the writers were thinking nebula. Yes. They recreated the nebula in the middle of a star system just so that they could have Wrath of Khan 
and you know there there may have been another more creative yeah they didn't necessarily need to do that but i still loved how mariner had the genesis device it, it was a clever thing cuz she was alone right it, it it worked out best for her to be alone with nick but then when she escapes she has no one to talk to and it, you know it's, she has the gd her friend gd Right. So they had to make the Genesis device <laughs> into a character so she can have dialogue because otherwise yep. it's just boring to watch her sit there. Um, you know, and, and it felt very natural because she was like, OK, you're my, you're my first officer. And she straps it in and it's the GD. I thought that was all really fun. And it eventually did talk. Yeah. Let's talk about that flashback scene that was at the oh, beginning. Oh, wow. Because that was something. First of all, I love the most typical establishing shot of Starfleet Academy that's so familiar. Like, it's that. I think I even have that, the live action version as wallpaper for Zooms. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it, yeah, they, they used the exact shot. Yeah. Except that it was widescreen, obviously, because it's now in the HD era. That's like a water reclamation plant somewhere in Southern California. But uh, it really does exist, that location. I want to go. I want to go there and stand there. Mark Altman's working on that documentary. I'm sure they're going to visit it about locations. So they're going to visit it, but I would like to visit it. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I love that they brought back Shannon Phil, who doesn't even act anymore. That was fun. And then Will Wheaton, who actually did such a nice job of trying to be a more squeaky voiced young Wesley Crusher. Yeah, he was definitely not the same person he was in Picard season two as Traveler yeah. Will Wheaton. We were speculating that Traveler Will Wheaton would come in at some point during this episode, but the, doing the flashback was the smarter move, I think. Yeah, it was a great choice. Because Mike is, he said, he said he has struggled with the idea of how to get Will into the show, and this is this is a great way to do it. It. I wish there was a more of it. I. I thought they would bookend the episode with the with the flashback, and return to it because I wanted more of it. So no, it was great. I mean, there were little things in that establish. I mean, you could actually see Boothby if you look closely. <laughs> um. So it was it was great, and uh, I'm not sure why they did this. I, I guess to tighten it up because um, there was another member of Nova Squad, and you could yeah, see- there was another woman. Yeah, you could see her walking away from the group at the beginning in the wide shot. I guess just because it, it, you know, it just makes it easier to, because um, they were going to bring in Mariner to the scene. And, uh, right. And otherwise you have this character just standing there not doing anything, which doesn't yeah. make sense. And I loved young, enthusiastic, Boimler-like Mariner. She was, was just, so Boimler-like. Was she, was, <laughs> she, she talked so fast and she was so excited about you know, history and the preservers and the Zindi and her hair was great and she was just super excited about everything. So this makes Mariner basic because that was 13 years ago. So she's she was a freshman, but I guess she's like 19 then. So she's basically early 30s now. Right. So And she knows Wesley. Yeah. And she knew Nick and Sido, uh, obviously. Yep. She probably knows Boothby. I think everybody knows Boothby. Yeah. I um, thought I really did think that that, that this week we were going to find out that Cito had not actually died. Like, I yeah. was like, oh, we're definitely going to see her. I was really sure we were going to see her. And I figured, oh, they'll get Shannon Phil. 
because no matter what she's doing, it's just VO, it's fine. But I thought there was going to be something where she was like, you know, captured and whatever and was gone for a long time and it changed and either turned bad or been misled. So um, this was uh, better than that idea. Yeah, because I I loved the idea of her coming back, but the why she, you know, she was working undercover. I mean, it just it would have been convoluted to. Well, and it would have. I think it would have sort of, in a way, tainted the ending of that very powerful episode, like the Lower Decks TNG episode, because that was, I mean, that is a moving ending. Yeah, and it also would taint the previous episode and this episode because the whole point was she gave her life for the ideals of the Federation, something that Mariner forgot but then remembered and then used that to help her arc and used that to try to get Nick make his turn, which he never did. Because he thought she died for nothing. Yeah, that flashback was great, but it wasn't just a gratuitous cameo in any way. It really fit well into the episode. I loved how they transitioned it from that to Nova One, his ship, beautifully done. I mean, the pacing of this episode is so much going on in multiple locations. Tight, tight stuff. Yeah, no, it was like, that's why I said it was a million things packed in because it really was one after another after another. And even as I was rewatching it to just jot down notes for the podcast, I'd be like, oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like you already forgot because there was so much. And then I'm like, oh, now we're in the fluffier down part, <laughs> which was fantastic and totally different from everything else that was going on. <laughs> yeah, that had Fluff a big, down. I'm sure this was overt, but weren't you getting a little bread and circuses vibe yeah, from that? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Maybe a little amok time, classic Star Trek, pitting people into a pit for f- fighting over something. It's curious, like, what the, they're going to do with Tendi. So... The family wants Tendi to be part of the crime family, but she's not leaving Starfleet. Starfleet appears to be sanctioning her return as part of their efforts for diplomacy. With their new diplomatic relations. How criminal can she be? How mistress of the Winter Constellations can she be if she's still technically in Starfleet? Well, I think the big question is how many episodes till she finds her way back. And I'm going to guess one. Yeah, like they did with Don Lewis when she was captured and you know arrested, they brought her back quickly. Yeah, I think it'll happen fast. But it was still made for a good, sad ending. And there was like this subtle moment where they were all like, let's get back to work. And everyone seemed cool. But you could see this look on Rutherford's face where he was devastated. Yeah, he pretended. He was like, okay, or okie dokie. And then, uh, and then he just looked sad and you could tell. Speaking of how things wrapped up and redemptions, I was very satisfied with how they handled things with Talyn. I mean, we kind of knew this was coming. I think we've predicted it on the podcast that she would end up rejecting her captain and kind of aligning herself with the Cerritos. Although I thought she might request joining Starfleet itself, um, but maybe that was implied. But how, how did you feel like how they handled Talyn in this episode? Oh, no, I liked it because I think you don't want her to... You can't have someone whose singular goal is to leave over and over and over again. So I like the idea that she's now decided she's going to stay because she likes it there. And she's going to be, well, she wanted to be Tendi's science bestie, but now (laughs) Tendi left. (laughs) I suspect that Tillin will play a role in getting her back because she's committed to Tendi being her science bestie and committed to Cerrito Strong, another nice homage to, yep. the move, to the movies with Spock. 
and you know, she had her moments in this episode. She got them to do the twaining, which well, first of all, Phillips thought that she was going to do a mind meld, and he was so excited. <laughs> but that that callback was so random, and yet again, perfect, perfect. And you know, you you wonder when they. I, d- I doubt when they were making that episode, they knew this would come back, but it's just, it was so well thought out. It was, and it's, there's truth to it, which is so, I mean, it's not that everybody needs to dress up like Mark Twain or like fake Mark Twain, but the idea of creating a situation where people can communicate about something in a different setting is a good, legit idea. And then adding <laughs> The Twain thing just is like icing on the cake. <laughs> but it also shows because Talin admits it's illogical, but it, re- it results. Works. It works. And so, you know, results matter. And yeah. uh, I know because Freeman is like, why does this work? But it does work. And it works, I think, for actually for logical reasons. But it's also is great comedy. This would be a great thing for them to do again randomly in like season six, maybe, you know, just – let let it lie for a while. Go, d- no more twaining in season five, but then just randomly bring back some twaining in season six. Oh, I'm good with once a, once a season from now on would be good. And I like the line, I'll be happier than a milkman's horse. was one <laughs> of the lines. I think I was just telling you the other day, I actually had a milkman in my neighborhood growing up, but he was not on a horse. He had a little truck. Yes, <laughs> I, I, I do declare. <laughs> exactly but that was it was you know that and the fluffing you're down and all these other small highlights were so distracting <laughs> from the theme in a way because you could just go through and do all the comedy bits and then you'd almost forget like there's this whole thing of how they all came together how the lower deckers were really the ones except for the captain who mostly saved the day and did it all it was all their ideas and their plans for the most part yeah and they were put in charge of the cerritos i mean what they're kind of i guess forgetting is there are middle officers plenty of middle was- officers on the cerritos there's you know lieutenant commanders and commanders and lieutenants but we're just going to forget that for now right you know? <laughs> because we need boimler in the captain's chair and we need the rest of them on the bridge so that's what we're going to do yeah, like in the opening scene, Tendi and Talin were on the bridge for fun dialogue moments, but there was no reason. I mean, Boimler and Rutherford were actually at stations. Right. But, uh, you know, it was fine. And and we did get what we were expecting, which is someone – they used that to mention the Locarno looks like Paris thing. We right. Knew that. that was brilliant. <laughs> Just because they brought up the 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 pacing, the timing, and the doing it one more go round was perfect. I'm like oh, I just don't see it. It's like <laughs> he looks exactly the same. <laughs> but you know what? It makes sense that Boimler doesn't see it because Boimler is just so obsessive that to him they're just totally different people, right? You know, because he worships Tom Paris and Locarno's this other guy, you know, and so he he can't see it because of his own hero worship. Right. And he only knows like the Tom Paris who came back at the end of Voyager's journey and was like this, you know, responsible guy. Who he met. Yes. Twice, kind of. And has a plate of. 
<laughs> the second time it came back was when it was really like it was funny, but then it was hilarious. Yeah. And in the middle of everything, they're still arguing over it. That was beautiful. Agreed. There was a lot of little things in that whole montage. There was they were cutting to other ships. One of the ships was the ship that Mariner left to last season. Oh, yeah. With her um, archaeologist friend. Yeah, Aberdeen. Yeah. Yep. And and her lower deckers are looking at her, you know, and she's starting to get concerned. You know, we, we got a little cutaway of Goodgie. So we know Goodgie's <laughs> kind of and Goodgie was like working with some other random ensign or something. So Goodgie's part of the crew, just kind of doing stuff. Yeah, I wouldn't trust that Goodgie. <laughs> so does that mean there's holographic emitters all over this ship? Well, wherever Goodgie is, there's one. Yeah, at least. Like any episode, this benefits from rewatching because a lot of things I didn't even notice until my second time through. Right. Or my third time through. And I also think even with all the the jokes and gags piled up, there were also things that just make so much sense for a Star Trek episode like Starfleet saying, well, we can't we can't start a war and there's been no violence, so we can't do anything. And I feel like that's such a trope which is Starfleet constantly saying we can't do something. And then the captain decides I'm going to do it anyway. And then at the end they say, well, we should have punished you, but you happen to accomplish this other thing and everybody's happy with you. So you're good. Well, and no Starfleeter fired a shot during this entire episode. They, they did ram the Orion ship into the shield, but otherwise none. You know, Mariner never shot at anyone. Specifically told not to go. True. But I, my, my point is often, and Mariner was talking about this in the previous episode, that they are out to explore and all this and, and not engage in war. And even though this was a conflict, the Starfleeters were not shooting at people. Right. You know, which is good. Now, again, this is kind of why I wanted Locarno to be redeemed, because I wanted Mariner to succeed in reaching him because she was trying so hard. Maybe the point is sometimes... You can't. Yeah. Sometimes when someone's so tied up in their own ego and the story that they're telling themselves about the world that they just, they just, they go to the extreme level instead of being pulled back. For sure. For sure. And I loved just as I think they were subtle, not subtle. They were because <laughs> it wasn't subtle, but things that showed his mindset, like his captain's chair, which like rose in this dramatic way once he sat in it like it was very throne like and it rose up once he sat in it and was like this is the focal point of everything like it was a very ego filled captain's chair and the fact that he was still so obsessed with that the colvord what's it called starburst or something the star yeah, over um, starburst, which was his logo which actually is what the explosion looked like at the end so he finally did it but the fact is like this was a guy who was delusional about himself and his goals the whole time and i mean mariner pointed out he was presenting himself as a man of the people as it were exactly but she pointed out he never really was he doesn't care about lower deckers i mean he also had to brag about graduating at the top of his class which again he never didn't graduate doesn't that all sound a little familiar? It all, you know, the more I, the more I think about it, the more you know the fake man of the people thing. And yep. yeah, it all starts adding up. It might be a good question to ask Mike someday if that yes. was if that was 
at the top of their mind or even in the back of their mind. I mean, it certainly had an influence. Yeah, you kind of can't help it. You know, what they didn't do is what they did in Discovery in season one when Lorca revealed himself to be from the Mirror Universe and he actually said something like, let's make Starfleet great again or something like that. So it was, uh, there are subtler ways to do it. You don't need to hit everybody over the head. Exactly. So, and although Mariner going, this guy sucks and his plan is stupid, I was, was maybe hitting us over the head, but in a, the most wonderful way. Well, he was so delusional that he assumed because she is constantly fighting authority and always has that she'd be on his side. And well, and he also used, you know, cont- our contemporary lingo. To make his point, because he said, I have an officer here who knows how to speak truth to power, which is just an annoying, sorry, everybody, super annoying expression in my book that I'm tired of hearing and doesn't actually mean anything. Um, (laughs) And then she's just like, this guy's stupid. (laughs) His plan is bad. (laughs) Well, she, yeah, she briefly, like, I mean, you knew she was going to do something, but she kind of tried to you know, fake it for a little while until she could get the Genesis device. And um, then she says to the gen- to the GD, please no exploding. <laughs> everything fits perfectly. What's amazing is that this episode was written by someone who she's only has three screen credits. This is her first lower deck screen credit. Um, but she was Mike's assistant and Alex's assistant. Um, although she has a background in, UCB comedy and stuff like that. So I, I suspect Mike had a, had a hand in this as well. Well, I would assume he has a hand in everything because there's a writer's room. And so everybody has a hand in things, but I think she did a great job and I don't, I wouldn't take away from that because she obviously has been paying a ton of attention when you're an assistant, you soak up everything. Um, she's learned, she's creative, she's funny, and she nailed it. I mean, the dialogue in this is so good. When Mariner walks on the bridge and just goes, what up, binars? And they go, (laughs) that made me laugh out loud. When she says things like, and how exactly are we sticking it to those chumps, by the way? And then all these, there were so many great little, like Livic is back, and she had fun with that. And, you know, they're like, don't you get along with him now? And Rutherford says, only when we're tweening. (laughs) There's so many great lines and great moments. I also love no can do, Tendy (laughs) 2. Yeah, I was not disparaging her. We've talked about this before. This season has seen a number of people rise up the ranks. It's kind of an an irony of the season is about promotions. We've seen a number of directors who used to be storyboard artists. So it's great to see that Mike is – cultivating talent and people are you know moving up and delivering great star trek yeah agreed at at lower decks so hopefully we'll see more of her in season five i can only assume we will yeah i hope so because this was terrific i did have one question here's i was trying to find a nitpick so i think i have one okay it's pretty minor though when the captain sees mariner on the bridge with Nick, she goes, Mariner. And I'm like, at that point, she's her mom. Wouldn't she just call her Beckett? <laughs> I th- like, I feel like at some point she's got to call her Beckett. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure she has. 
I know, but it was such a mom moment. Like your kid, I mean, both parents were at the beginning, like we need to get her back. She's very focused on getting her back. And then she sees her and yells out her last name. I don't know. I liked how when Freeman gives her classic, I'm going to, I'm about to defy orders speech. She refers to rescuing Lieutenant JG Mariner because she didn't you know, she didn't say I'm going to do this to rescue my daughter. I'm going to do this to rescue a member of the of my crew. Yeah. 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 And I think she would have done it if it were Tendy or Rutherford or anyone. Yeah. That's true. So do I. Maybe not the conspiracy guy. <laughs> What's his name? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, oh, Steve Levy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But for pretty much for everyone else. But you're right, so right. There's so many smart moments of dialogue that and it shows you how diverse these characters are when they're using this moment to explain Locarno better. Because Locarno was thrown in at the end of the last episode. And I think they understand that not everyone is like us and knows like what that even means. Right. And so there there was a little round robin of everyone giving little bits of Locarno's backstory at the beginning of this episode of like why is he so angry? And so uh, you know, Ransom Gate came in, and then Talin had some comment about the logic, and then you know my favorite Doctor Tana just came <laughs> through at the end and said, "Yeah, he's an asshole." You yeah, know? <laughs> which is which is all you really need to know, yes. right? <laughs> but, uh, I thought that was smartly done because it is important for the casuals out there, and in fact, on the ready room, Jerry O'Connell was talking about how, like, he had no idea who Nick LaCarna yeah. was, yeah. even though he's part of the show and knows Trek a little bit. Well, he also didn't get any of the Voyager jokes in the first episode because he's never right. watched Voyager. You know, whereas, of course, Tawny Newsom just loved it, you know, because she's a fan and yeah. t- talked about the first duty. Because they know that the episodes have to work for both, and but you don't want to drag – that. that's the thing, is – if you do too much exposition for the casual fans and the not, you know, the first fans who really don't know anything, it really does drag things down. But if you make it funny with snappy dialogue, then it works for everybody. Right. Exactly. That's exactly what they did. Yeah. I thought I just it was so beautifully done. I'm not sure we've got anything else. I mean, we've, we've, we came to praise and we praised. Yep. Um, we did a little nitpicking, but please don't like, Oh, you guys are, you know, it's, we I, loved I it. Fe- I loved it. Yeah. I felt like I had to come up with some, something that wasn't just, this is great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the show's just getting better and better. You know, I've said, I don't expect it to get more than five seasons. I want it to get more than five seasons. Yeah. It is such a joy. It really is. Like uh, this one, especially, I just sat there having so much fun watching it. It was I'm never tempted, you know, in my first pass, I watch it on my big TV and I don't take notes. And a lot of TV, look, I love TV. I watch a lot of it. But a lot of times I pick up my phone, I pick up something else. When I'm watching this show, I don't pick up my phone. I'm just watching it. I watched this thing within two minutes of getting the email from Paramount saying it's available to screen. I mean, I was so excited to watch it. Uh, They were holding this one back because we saw the first we had access to the first eight episodes in September, but they were holding these last two bits. I really, I, I think they were overly worried about spoilers. I, yeah, I, you I know, think once the, I think to me, the Nick Locarno thing was the big one and that yeah. was it. That was the big thing to be worried about. And yeah, like hold that. Yes. 
but I think, yeah, we talked about this last week. There was too much hype about it. And then this, there was just too much secrecy. They didn't need it. Once we knew that he was there last week, then we're good for this week. But didn't certainly didn't detract from how fun the episodes are. Not in the least. That's more, you know, our business, our little minor issues right. as a website and podcast. Exactly. No one should care about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's that's it for Lower Decks. That's a wrap on Lower Decks. Season four. And we know nothing about season five except that it exists. We've they, they've we've heard a little bit, I guess, from Mike. So we'll 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 be talking more about that later. What we do know, but very little. And Don Lewis said everybody's back. Yeah. Not that that's a surprise, but and she of said course. it months ago. But <laughs> but I'll take it. Indeed. Well, let's do our bits of the week. Mine is lower decks related directly, and usually I don't do a bit that's something visual, but something I saw on Reddit that I just loved, which is a couple dressed up as Boimler and Rutherford as twains. <laughs> so, not just twains. Like the Rutherford has the eyepiece. It's all it's all fully integrated. And I just love that because, like, if they go to a party or something, no one's going to know what this is. I know. Is. I was thinking, I hope they go to a party with other Star Trek fans. <laughs> to see it, you'll have to check out our show notes for the link. But it is worth it. So come to the site and uh, check out that link. And you mentioned you saw some boopsie on Halloween as well. Yes. So yes. that's great. If, if you've got a link to that, we should throw that in there, too. All right. I'll try to. I'm sure I can find it. It may have been on Blue Sky. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> What's your bit of the week? Uh, mine is, you know, Patrick Stewart has been out promoting his book, which I finished and I will get my review up as soon as I can. Spoiler alert. It's great. Um, it really is. But he was on Conan O'Brien's podcast. Conan O'Brien needs a friend. And he's so funny. I mean, he's talking about the book, but he's also telling stories and he's reminiscing about the time he and Conan had a kiss on the mouth together. Um, and he's just obviously enjoying he loves being on a comedy podcast. He's enjoying his life. He's having a good time. You can watch some of the clips on YouTube because they do that for the podcast. So I won't tell you what he said. Just go listen. It's delightful. He did so much press. He did fresh air. I don't know. I, I have to admit, I got to the point where I started Patrick Stewarting out because so many of the podcasts I like, I'm like, oh my God, he's on this one too. But that one was a definite highlight on yes. the Conan one. Yeah. Fresh Air was good, too, but it was very NPR, of course. Right. <laughs> I mean, he can talk serious stuff, and that's great. But this is – when he's having a rollicking good time, he's even better. And he's already pretty fabulous. Of course. And uh, are you, you're you done with the book, right? I am done with the book. I really loved it. I'm still working through my way through the audio book, but uh, we'll talk more about the book when your review comes out. Yes. All right. I think that's it for another episode of the All Access Star Trek podcast. Thank you guys for coming and putting suggestions um, in the comments on the site for stuff that you'd like us to do in some of the weeks off. Uh, keep them coming. So we can't do everything. I mean, you know, someone said Amanda Plummer and I'm like, that'd be great, but it's not going to happen. Yeah. But, but you know what? Keep with the suggestions. Go aim high, aim low, whatever. But uh, it, it's all it might spark other thoughts. So we really appreciate it. And we'll be back next week, and we plan on filling up the hiatus until we get to Discovery with more new episodes. See you next week.